Welcome back to Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers helping you navigate the six divorced and done steps to move through your divorce quickly and efficiently without bankrupting yourself financially or emotionally. Everything we talk about in this podcast is for your information, but it is not legal advice or legal opinion of any kind. Darren Schmidt, we're rolling toward the end of April. How are you doing? Pretty good. Got the uh, gas power washer that I got for Christmas all fired up. Was rip, that's expensive. I was ripping it's, it's around. Gas powered? Jeez, that's oh, expensive. Yeah. Can, you, can you afford to even run that? And then with the water? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I'm going to get the, the Tesla version. Ah, Just excellent. Plug it in. An iPad with a super soaker tape to it. Great. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing with that? I, yeah, maybe I'll get like the solar one. I'll get a solar panel on it. I'll <laughs> rip around with that that thing. Uh, what do you do with that? So I did the back. We have like a back concrete patio area, like a fire pit. So right. it, it's funny. If anyone's used a gas power washer, the... Uh, satisfaction that comes from like smashing the dirt and grit off whatever surface you're you're spraying with it it's unbelievable so the before and after of this was awesome and it was sort of i don't want to stereotype like the ultimate man moment like you see on tiktok these videos of people like dropping things on the ground to get like satisfaction or throwing logs into water and stuff i i sort of had my smashing ice on the ground moment or throwing a log in the lake these are these are videos people really like i hear you and i know exactly what you're talking about i'm thinking about your back patio is there not a cement curb sort of around that patio yeah yeah it's like enclosed in cement perfect i I am remembering this correctly so when you spray all that water on there when you're done spraying everything off is then they're not like half a foot of water just sitting on your patio no because i spray it like you like it's you spray it off so it's not pooling like you can spray the pooling water away, if that makes sense. Okay. You'll have you to come and see it. It's just, it's an amazing patio, process. A bunch of wa- okay. So we're not just like spraying a whole bunch of water on the ground. And then you, there's just you, dirty water sitting there. Like if, if, if I handed you this thing, you yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't stop doing it. Like you would be six hours would go by. You would power wash anything. So what I'm hearing is you love this gas powered washer so much that if the apocalypse is coming, not only is it going to be gas powered, you're going to forget the water. You're just going to put gas into the power washer and then it becomes the super awesome flamethrower. That's what I'm hearing. Speaking of flames and other things, I should shout out something. Um, so as everyone knows, last summer, we had a really hot summer in yes. BC and I, I yes. think across Canada. And so, of course, here in BC, we're thinking all creatively about ways to mitigate the fire risk. fire prevention Ide- yeah ideally we would just have fires roll through the forest and again i'm not a nature expert by any stretch so bear with me anyone that's sitting here with a science background is going to say what are you even talking about but you know i think the notion is a fire should roll through and disturb a natural forested area every so many years right so so that regrowth happens and there's there's some mitigation of the risk going forward, but of course with houses everywhere, we don't we we obviously can't have fires roll through near houses. So uh, one thing my wife is working on right now, and she was part of, is a documentary. And it's called Too Close to Home. You can check it out on uh, YouTube. She premiered it last week with other people on this project, and what they're doing is they're grazing cows 
near communities in BC to disturb the grass on the underbush and all that stuff. I, I'm botching what actually happens here, but the grouse eat, the cows eat the grass and it does something akin to what a fire would do. So as you said, standing there with my power washer, maybe it was a fire is approaching. I'm going to fight the fire with my power washer. We have something better. We have cows. And that makes an effective barrier for if there are forest fires, then there's that spot where the cows ate. So the flames don't come near things. Is yes. Okay. And, you know, but anyway, enough about me and the coming near things. If, but on that point, if, if you want to send a question near us, you can do that a few ways uh, or to us uh, through voicemail. We would love that. Uh, the, the links in our show notes, speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. You can send us a voicemail message of up to 90 seconds. You don't have to reveal who you are. You don't even have to like put your name into it. So we've gotten some of these where we don't know the person's name. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, you would know we we don't need your name in the question. You can remain totally anonymous. It's a great way to interact with us. We get to hear your voice. Um, or you can send us questions by Gmail uh, to our Gmail account email, uh, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com. We put a call out a few weeks ago for questions and we've had just a flood of them come in. So we're going to try and get to as many of them, many of them as we can. But uh, I guess, Rob, unless anything else, let's get to them. Yeah, let's roll into the questions. Okay. Question one this week. It's a, it's a bit lengthy and it's multifaceted, but we'll get through it. Hi, Rob and Darren. Hello. I feel so lucky to have stumbled across your podcast. Well, we're very lucky to have you to listen to it. I have learned so much and want to sincerely thank you for the time and effort you put into the show. There are golden nuggets in every episode, and I especially enjoyed your breakdown of spousal support. I'm on step four and actively thinking of step five. Anyone listening that doesn't necessarily know all the divorced and done steps, step four is uh, dividing property and debt. And step five is addressing any claims to spousal support. So the listener says, I'm on step four and starting to think about step five of my divorced and done journey. I have some questions I thought I would send your way. For context, my greatest concern is that my spouse will try to push for needs-based spousal support. There are absolutely no grounds for compensatory support. I'll just stop there uh, so that anyone listening has some context on what the listener is saying there. Uh, spousal support, there's, I guess when we're thinking about that at step five, is uh, a, a spouse making a claim to spousal support can say, I am entitled to spousal support on one of two grounds. Number one is that I should be compensated for my work in the relationship. In other words, I sacrificed my own life and I supported you uh, along the way in our relationship, looked after the home, cared for the kids, did all those sort of things. So I should be compensated now that the relationship's over because your career was advanced and mine wasn't. And the other is needs-based support or non-compensatory support. And that's where a spouse says, now that I don't have access to the marital standard of living, I need some bridge there. I need to, to get along here for a few years, few months, whatever it might be to say, I need to get back on my feet, maintain a marital standard of living. And those are the two categories of entitlement that this listener is saying. So the listener says, for context, my greatest concern is my spouse will try to push for needs-based spousal support. There are absolutely no grounds for compensatory support. Okay. The prospect of continuing to fund my ex's life after carrying him for over a decade while he emotionally, physically, and financially abused me 
makes me ill, though I understand that no-fault divorce means none of that will weigh the scales in my favor. Entitlement for non-compensatory support still feels a bit unclear to me. I realize I'll need to assess all of this carefully with my own lawyer, but any general audience or advice, general guidance or advice you can share is really appreciated. Here we go. Question one. When prepping for financial disclosure, is it correct to say that assets and debt should be disclosed as of the date of separation, but personal income should be most current and to your point, likely updated through the process as you move through the uh, divorce and separation legal process? Is personal income useful to determine anything other than child and spousal support? So uh, Rob, on that question, what do you think? Yes, all of your disclosure must be current. And we know when we're working with folks uh, through a divorce process, through the divorce and done steps or not, for everyone, this will at least likely take a year, sometimes maybe two. And the prospect of doing disclosure more than once, at least twice, happens for most people. And when we seek that disclosure, we want it to be as current as possible. Uh, is personal income useful to determine anything other than child and spousal support? It goes generally to what your conditions, means, needs, circumstances at any one point in time are. So going to child or spousal support, that's important. Uh, in terms of dividing assets or debts, other than money you may be saving, um, building more assets post-separation maybe, but those personal income pieces and disclosing tax returns is broadly just for child and spousal support. What are your views, Darren? Yeah. Um your assets and debts as of date of separation are going to be um, obviously relevant as well as your income at that point. But moving through it, I think understanding assets and debts and the values of those post-separation are equally as important because um, I believe this is an Ontario listener, so I don't know off the top of my head, but I know in Alberta and BC, it's the assets and debts that existed as of date of separation but it's the value as of date of trial or date of settlement of those assets that is considered. So updating your disclosure through the process, following any court rules that require updated disclosure as the process moves forward, you should certainly follow those. And really at its core, the purpose of disclosure is to provide full, frank, and honest disclosure, not hiding anything. I think more disclosure is better than uh, not providing enough disclosure because that just raises more questions and it doesn't move people towards settlement. So uh, keep updating your disclosure. Next question from the listener. Um, this is a multi-part question. Let's say two spouses reach an agreement on all fronts and a separation agreement is signed and filed. Would a court potentially decide not to grant a divorce if the spouse with a lower income agreed to waive any claims to spousal support. Um, Probably not. Some other details. Yeah, I don't think a court would get in the way of that, particularly if it's spousal support, child support, perhaps. That's a different thing altogether, but a spouse is able to waive spousal support, um, presuming there's complete disclosure. The, the court wouldn't intervene in that instance. Any and different thoughts, if Rob? You, if you completed that agreement with a lawyer, uh, specifically in Alberta, BC, you don't need a lawyer to do that. But in Alberta, if you had lawyers signing off on that, there's a greater chance that would pass through the courts. Okay. Listener says, uh, if there's a $100,000 difference between the income of the two spouses, if the spouse with the lower income made no efforts to pursue gainful professional career, a gainful professional career, and their career wasn't hindered because of any role they played in the relationship, how easy will it be them 
for them to successfully claim needs-based support. Um, all right. On that point, look, anytime a spouse says I'm entitled to spousal support, as I previously alluded to and very briefly glossed over, the first onus on that spouse is to say I'm entitled. So you're either going to say I'm entitled on compensatory grounds or needs-based grounds. The onus is on that spouse to prove their claim. If the other spouse says you're not entitled to it, so there's no agreement between the spouses on that point, then the only way to resolve that is to have a third party make that decision for you. And that third party is likely a judge. Maybe it's a privately hired arbitrator, but it's likely a judge. So when you say, how easy will it be for them to successfully claim needs-based support? Well, here's some of the inputs that we can, we can consider. You're going to need a trial on that issue, very likely, or at minimum, a lengthy chambers application with substantive affidavits. And if that's not possible, you're going to have to go to trial. And so I would say it's not that easy for them to make such a claim because it's going to require a lot of work on their part to move through that process, to make that claim and prove it to that third party decision maker, i.e. the judge. So. Um, like I say, on all aspects of the divorced and done steps, all aspects of any divorce or separation that's moving through a legal process, either you're going to resolve it with your ex-spouse or aspects of it, or you're going to ask a third party to make that decision for you. Any other thoughts on that, Rob? No, just thinking about spousal support generally. Um, you've done a great job of providing that overview but this is the fundamental challenge when people sort of say, well, how, how likely is this to be successful? And unlike other aspects of the divorced and done steps, spousal support is that slippery fish. And unfortunately, without knowing more from the listener, we can only really say it depends. And the further both of you push that issue, as you suggest, Darren, it's either going to trial or arbitration or some other final uh, final determination if the two of them can't work it out themselves. So um, the last sort of aspect of this, and I'm just going to summarize this, determining the amount of spousal support. So anyone that's um, dealt with spousal support or listened to our prior episodes or discussions on spousal support would know, as I've discussed, step one of any spousal support piece, not step one of divorced and done steps, but really the first aspect of determining a spousal support case is that entitlement piece. So either you're going to agree there is an entitlement, or if you, you're not in agreement on that, that third party is going to decide yes or no, the spouse claiming spousal support is entitled to it. The second step of that, flowing from that, would be how much. And that's a little bit of a simpler process. That's looking at the spousal support advisory guidelines. They are advisory. They are not the law. But it is my experience, Rob, I know it's your experience. It's uh, almost universally every lawyer's experience that the spousal support advisory guidelines will dictate a quantum or amount of spousal support and also probably the duration of spousal support. So we have software programs in Canada. There's two major software programs. One is called Divorce Mate and the other is called Child View. And most family law law firms or law firms with a family lawyer practicing in them have subscriptions to one of those two software programs. And you can input a lot of different factors, like how long the spouses live together, how much they make. Uh, if someone's receiving child support, how much child support are they receiving? 
how much Section 7 expenses are being paid uh, under the child support guidelines, um, their ages, all that sort of stuff. And then it spits out a range of numbers for a, an approximate range of monthly ch- spousal support, excuse me. And it will also spit out a range for duration. They tend to be sweeping ranges. And more often than not, if a court is asked to decide, again, it's not, this is not a universal truth, but it, the court will tend to look at the mid-range of those calculations and say, that's probably an appropriate amount. And almost look at the two lawyers th- that are there, if there's a contested hearing, and say, why should I stray from the midpoint in terms of quantum and duration? But anyway, Rob, uh, any other thoughts on that? No, as you said in our spousal support episodes, that is the most technically challenging issue probably that we deal with. And having access to a lawyer that knows how to produce those calculations and come up with a reasonable range and a reasonable prospect for you, particularly for this listener who in part of the question talks about her own budgeting, thinking about her own retirement and supporting aging parents, that's where you'll want to have a really good lawyer that can sit down with you and produce reasonable possible outcomes on this piece. The final kind of aspect of this listener's multifaceted question pertains to dividing property and debt, which is step four of our divorced and done steps. We've been talking about step five, so a bit out of sequence for us, which we normally would not advise, but you've crafted your question in such a way and we will oblige. Uh, the listener says uh, her and her spouse parted this parted ways this last summer of 2021 and quickly separated stuff, as she puts it, so we could live separate and apart. Is the way we that we split stuff to help us get out of each other's hair necessarily final? Uh, and if the answer to that is no, how do you sort of go about? going back and talking about possessions that have since been divided and in the other person's possession at this point, can you rejig that at a later date? So I think we're talking about um, physical stuff, what we would call in law chattels, movable property in a house um, that have already sort of been split up. And we don't know whether that was sort of determined explicitly as a final division or everyone just sort of ran into the house and grabbed stuff and left. I have no idea. But Rob, what what do you think on this? That sounds sort of what she says here. Quickly separated stuff so we could live separate and apart. She goes on to say that he's in possession of many valuable assets that were acquired during the marriage. I don't know particularly the laws on dividing the personality out of your home, your chattels, or as I like to say, knickknacks in splitting all that stuff up. But if you don't have a separation agreement yet and no one has helped you determine to say, yes, you're going to keep all these bits and pieces, he's going to keep all these bits and pieces, that's not necessarily final. And as the listener says at the end here, can I potentially leverage the assets as a bargaining chip to get him to waive a spousal support claim? That is, I'll let you keep all the stuff that you took as long as you agree to waive your spousal support claim? Yes. Yeah. I mean, here's what I'd say on stuff. And it's not to discount the value of the stuff, particularly from a subjective point of view, your point of view, the listener's point of view. But more often than not, the actual stuff in your house isn't actually that valuable. If you were to put it up on Facebook Marketplace and sell all of it, what would you get for that sort of stuff? There might be some collectibles and things of some actual value that um, 
are noteworthy, but really jewelry, TVs, that's the, the, the regular things you would find in a single family home, any, any sort of home, right? That stuff truly isn't that valuable, but, um, and it's just something to consider overall. And one thing I tell my clients is we're not fighting about the teacups. So we're not, we're not getting into that. It's just not worth your time. And it's not a divorced and done mindset. Why are we thinking about, you know, seed throwers in the garage or, or pick a knickknack that you really want to get hung up on or the power washer. I really want to keep the power washer. How you valuable is the power washer? You, you, you just, you did an ode to that power washer <laughs> at the beginning of this podcast. If I'm representing you, you're saying to me, but Rob, you don't understand the way the dirt sweeps off the patio. Yeah, you're not I listening don't. to me, Rob. I want the power I, I, washer. I the power, I, I, this power washer is liter- literally worth is only thousands. the power washer. And on that point, as we know, for some people, unfortunately, certain items of sentimentality, even if objectively they have no value, if it's some sort of heirloom, in rare circumstances that can become the fight, and people can expend tons of time and effort fighting about those things. You so, remember the beanie beanie baby thing out of the states. Totally. That Beanie Baby craze of people. I seem to remember you and I talked about this. There was some family law case of the early, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And it was flipping coins for, you know, who's getting the Princess Diana Beanie Baby. But I will say to In this court there, that you can Google images of the Beanie Babies and they're, they're literally splitting them in a courtroom. If this listener has something of value that could defeat that spousal support claim, she will know because she will sit down with that lawyer who will do the math on her spousal claim to generate a number there and then think about all the things you had in your home and if you do have some sincerely valuable pieces, not just personal sentimentality, that may be the best way forward to getting you divorced and done. Okay, let's uh, let's try and get to one more question here before uh, we hang up the boots for this week. Uh, listener writes to us, says, gets right to the point. I've been separated from my abusive husband for nine years. He started the divorce proceedings in 2016. I just found out he forged my name on some custody papers without my knowledge, which left me alienated from my son. The son is now 18 and I, I want to settle my divorce. Am I entitled to anything as he took a payout from his CPP when we first separated? He saw every lawyer in our area we lived, making it a conflict of interest for me, as well as making it impossible to find legal help. I have not worked due to mental health issues caused by my marriage. He went through 67 jobs in nine years we were together. I was told I would be looked at as a caregiver, not a parent, because I worked and he didn't. He's never wanted any money for child support. He scratched that off the divorce papers and I was told no money, no kid when I wanted to see my son. I just want to know how fast my divorce will go um, once I pay the final $400. Okay, so kind of cryptic at certain parts of this question, but it looks like divorce proceedings started in 2016. Um, Some pretty serious allegations from the listener here about um, some of the conflict that's gone on during the marriage. I think what this listener wants to know is how does she get divorced and done? How does she move forward with her life? How does she get this finally behind her and not have to worry about these ongoing divorce proceedings? Rob, do you have any sort of preliminary thoughts for the listener? 
Step one of the divorced and done steps is actually figuring out where you are. So I am concerned, she says, he forged her name on custody papers, which sounds unusual to me. The only way anyone can proceed through court without somebody else uh, would be receiving a default judgment, meaning you went to, he went to court and you didn't show up, or uh, did sincerely potentially sign your name and maybe forge a affidavit of execution to a document. Uh, but you do say your son is now 18. I'd want to know what the status of your divorce is and what the status of your property division is to understand those issues, to know exactly where you are. Your son is now 18. Hopefully you can have a relationship with him, your son, independent of your divorce because your child is now an adult. That adult, your son, is now free to make decisions about who he wants to see. And hopefully there can be some contact there for you with your son child support. You suggest he never really wanted any money and scratched that off the divorce papers. Okay, your child's now an adult. I'm going to suggest maybe that's not a live issue. In terms of your things and your stuff, you mentioned CPP. uh, You mentioned some other pieces. Again, I'd want to know if that final divorce judgment was granted or where procedurally you are with the court. Uh, in terms of finality. And the benefit here would be meeting with a lawyer to say, here's where I'm at, here's where I want to be. If there has been something fraudulent or your ex has done something um, procedurally exceptionally offside, there may be a way for things to be opened up. But even before you open something up, Make sure you meet with that lawyer, see what you could be entitled to, and whether it's worth opening things up or not, and focusing on the most important part of the piece that I'm seeing here, that your son is now an adult, and potentially pursuing that relationship with him. Yeah, I think um, you have what appears to be an unresolved divorce proceeding, and you just want to know how fast your divorce will go. It's one one of the aspects of the question. I mean, if one thing that would, that is going to speed this up is your child's now an adult. So you're not talking about parenting time. Okay. So that's going to, I mean, that, that issue is resolved, whether it's resolved to your satisfaction because of some misconduct or whatever committed by your ex, um, that that's what it is. But the fact is you're not, you're not talking about parenting time for a minor child, probably not talking about child support arrears from the nature of your question. So you're really just looking at, as you say, Rob, where is your divorce process in the courts? You can go down to the courthouse, wherever this is filed, uh, and request a copy of the file. I don't know whether they'll produce it that day, whether there's a, a charge to get the copy of the file. Better yet, you could speak to a lawyer. And I know you say in the question, so he's contacted everyone in the region. Well, you can talk to a lawyer outside of your region, but still in your province. So there might be a, a neighboring community with a good lawyer that you could speak with. And you can probably speak to that lawyer by telephone or by Zoom. We've all become accustomed particularly to using Zoom or MS Teams or pick a video conference software as lawyers over the last couple of years, because we've been using our court system, using that technology. We're, we're all familiar with it. So speak with a lawyer there and say, how do I get a copy of the file? How do we figure out what's going on? Who's his lawyer? How do we contact that lawyer and then say, yeah, how do we resolve this divorce? How do we divide the property? How do we address any possible claims to spousal support? How do we move forward? Uh, 
I think that's really your best next step. And I don't think that step is terribly difficult. It's just going to require you reaching out to that lawyer and saying, let's book a meeting and let's do it. So we wish you all the best. Thanks for sending the question in to us. Those are our questions this week. As always, we would love the SpeakPipe voicemail messages from you, speakpipe.com slash divorced and done, or to our email in the show notes, Darren Schmidt. Thank you for being with me. I'm Rob Woodward. This has been Divorced and Done. We look forward to being with you.